and welcome to The Download. I'm your host, Dave Richardson, and we are joined by Chief Economist of RBC Global Asset Management, the hardest working economist in Canada, Eric Lascelles. Eric, welcome. Thanks, Dave. Good to be here. And, and I guess if we look at the Canadian job numbers we were just uh, chatting before, really strong month for Canadian jobs because you've apparently taken on another job because you're just not working hard enough. I figured I'd take a second and a third job, just help these numbers along a little bit. And so, yeah, 154,000 uh, new jobs in the month of November. That was quite literally five times uh, what was expected. And so for those who kind of paid attention over the months, you may recall last month was, was underwhelming in that regard. Last month, Canada got uh, 31,000 jobs and uh, the hope had been for something more than that. And so we've, we've more than made up for that disappointment. I think that's maybe the big the big takeaway here. Uh, it was you know d- decent full-time share. And so that, that composition was was fine. Amazingly, Canada's unemployment rate has just plummeted from 6.6 to 6.0%. And so, you know, getting getting very normal looking, it'd be nice to be into the high fives, but that's about as far as Canada normally gets. And so we, sh- we should certainly be celebrating that uh, as, as well. And uh, interestingly, for the first time since I think March, which I think I'm not quite sure I was aware it had been that long, but in any event, apparently for the first time since March, we saw growth in, in goods employment. Uh, and so, you know, the supply chain issues and these sorts of things had been a problem. And of course, as economies had reopened, we'd seen more growth in uh, food services and things like that that had previously been almost completely restricted back in the spring. And so it makes sense that services had been leading the way on the employment front. But nevertheless, good to get a bit of goods growth. And uh, this isn't really the purpose of this, uh, this conversation, but uh, we do think some of the supply chain issues are easing a little bit. And so maybe we're picking that up. Uh, though, of course, this flooding in, in British Columbia probably temporarily sets that back in a, in a Canadian context, even as we've seen some further improvement globally. But I, I, I'm losing the script here. Uh, the main point is good Canadian job numbers and wages picking up too. And so I guess if you're an employer, maybe this isn't quite as good. But to the extent most of us are also workers, we'll, we'll take that, I guess. And so uh, permanent hourly wages were weirdly sluggish. We were seeing only 2.1% annual growth in Canada. U.S. was clicking along at you know, 4-5%. And what was going on? here, given that inflation was well past that, we did just see a leap higher from 2.1 to 3.0% annual growth. And so still still a little underwhelming, to be honest, given where inflation is, but nevertheless, a, a pretty big leap forward. And so I guess we'll we'll take it. And, um, you know, in general, we've been seeing evidence of a slowing Canadian economy. I, I'm not sure, of course, we'll see a distortion later as, as this flooding comes in, and, and that, that'll be a mess for a couple of months in the data. Uh, but nevertheless, you know, I'll, I'll take some good looking job numbers here. It suggests maybe we weren't be accelerating quite as much as we thought. Yeah, and, and uh, just, just from one of your other points, uh, and, and I'm sure we'll get to it uh, later on as well, uh, but th- this whole idea of the, the supply chain issues and inflation issues may be peaking. Uh, and, and we've used the example before, you know, when my mom is running around and before she asks how the kids are, she asks me what's going on with the supply chain and what's going on with inflation, <laughs> then I probably know we're at a point where it's, it's, it's out in the public enough that it, it, we're probably looking backwards at, at, at those numbers instead of, uh, and, and things are may, maybe lightening up as, as we move forward. So that's Canada. The U.S. number was a little less exciting. Yeah, that's right. And so really, we're, we're playing opposites here. We should just re- play our recording from last month in reverse, Dave, since literally it was the opposite. <laughs> Canada was disappointing last time. We're good this time. Yeah. U.S., great last time, a little disappointing this time. Totally fine, by the way, still consistent with absorbing workers and so on. But the U.S. knocked off uh, 210,000 new jobs. The hope had been 550,000. So, you know, several fold miss versus a several fold outperformance. Uh, still fine, though. Uh, still positive revisions to the prior months. Uh, 
the U.S. unemployment rate fell to, it's gone from 4.6 down to 4.2. And so kind of like Canada, you know, half a percentage point from what we would have considered to be like scintillatingly good uh, before the pandemic. And so sort of amazing. And I will say, if you want to feel a bit better about the U.S. numbers, I would say be aware that they publish actually two employment estimates. The, the number we tend to talk about is the payroll survey. Basically, they ask businesses, were you hiring or not? There's also another way of doing it, which is a household survey, which like literally calls people on the phone and other things like that and says, do you have a job? And actually, that's the way Canada does it primarily. So when we were talking about the Canadian numbers, it was it was that approach. Um, and so we don't see the household survey get as much attention, but that's where the unemployment rate comes from. Businesses don't know what the unemployment rate is. They don't know how many people aren't working. They only know how many people are working by definition. And so you have to go to the household survey to get that. And so if you're wondering, like, how did you see a big miss on the hiring and yet like a big outperformance on unemployment is because the household employment number gained 1.9 million jobs in the month of November. And so it tends to be a little flakier and a little more volatile and so on. So let's not, uh, you know, get the party streamers out just yet. But nevertheless, a different important source of employment information suggests the U.S. was actually really clicking along in November. I would just say I'm not too, too worried about the U.S. or maybe more precisely, I'm worried about everyone in an Omicron variant capacity. And so that's maybe a discussion for a little further along here. But but nevertheless, uh, as it stands right now, my impression is the U.S. economy is growing just fine. And for the most part, the job numbers confirm that. And, and we'll get Omicron uh, uh, going in just a second. Uh, but just just a just a quick catch up on I, I know the you in the U.S. Uh, they have more job openings than people available to fill those jobs. Uh, is, is that a similar case in Canada or are we a little more balanced? It is very similar in Canada. Like the job, I think maybe a little less extreme, but nevertheless, very high levels of job openings as, as far as you can see. Uh, and you know, in Canada's case, we, we didn't see quite as much of a, a vanishing of, of workers as in the U.S. Like the U.S. labor force participation rate went down. A lot of people took early retirement. People, I guess, you know, reconsidered what they were doing and maybe decided to take care of their kids or go back to school or or some other variation on that. And so uh, that's that's been a complicating factor, maybe that's exacerbated the, the job shortage a little bit in the U.S. and contributed to those high openings. But Canada, too, very high job openings right now. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's a story in which labor markets are, are pretty tight by just about every standard. Obviously, there are a few sectors that still lag and, you know, our hearts go out to them, obviously, and there are people still unemployed uh, but nevertheless it's looking pretty good right now from this perspective yeah and 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 one of the other positives out of all of this given that uh, we've got more more job openings than than people to fill them is that creates uh, an uptick in productivity and so we, we talked about uh, you know you taking on extra jobs but everyone's working hard everyone's working harder these days uh, I know on the US front pro- productivity is, is ticking up Canada I imagine is is the same case Right. Yeah. So in the U.S., certainly we've seen that a little less in Canada. So keep in mind, one of the weird things here is that you remember how Canada has already passed its prior peak in employment, but we're not past our prior peak in output. And so what that means is actually our productivity hasn't done quite as well as the U.S., which is somehow producing more than it ever did with fewer workers than before. So we haven't fully partaken in that. Maybe there's a broader structural debate about that. And I was reading in the paper today about how uh, you know, CapEx in Canada and the capital stock is underwhelming. And, you know, so Canada has its own little challenges on that front. So it hasn't fully partaken, but nevertheless, uh, we are seeing productivity gains in much of the world. And I still think that, and this applies to Canada as well, I, I still think that we, we will see a, a, some sort of productivity boom come from 
the pandemic experience and just having jumped forward in virtual working and online commerce and digital currencies and, and literally 10 other uh, categories, I, I think we will see productivity growth from that, even if it's not fully visible in the numbers just yet here in Canada. Yeah, and of course, productivity growth is important because it allows, it allows us to have higher wages and, and be wealthier uh, without that, that significant upward pressure on inflation. Yeah, that's exactly it. If you make more stuff just because you have more people, that's nice. Government likes it, more tax revenue. But nevertheless, you know, you and I individually aren't doing better on a per capita basis. And so, yeah, to, productivity growth is where gains and prosperity come from. So that, that, is, that is a big goal in the end. I, I, I would say in, in, a, in a crisis, the initial goal is to get workers back. Canada has done a commendable job of that. But now let's get that productivity going too. Excellent. Well, that's a great update on employment. And that's looking in the rearview mirror. What we're looking forward to right now, the big news is on is on this new variant. And you've tracked the as as an economist, we've we've kind of we've talked about this on on previous podcasts. You've had to become sort of a minor in uh, virology, uh, along with your major in economics. W- what do you see happening? I, I know it's it's really early days, so it's it's hard to project. But but is there anything you're seeing? early stages or anything you're particularly concerned about in terms of what could happen with this particular variant? Yeah, uh, well, I mean, there's a lot we don't know yet. So we are still working largely in the realm of, of anecdote and little factoids that may or may not ultimately hold up as as we get more data. So it, 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 this could get changed, I guess, is the point I'd like to emphasize. But uh, yeah, the Omicron variant uh, does seem to be fairly problematic. You know, based on, on current understanding, it is likely, I would say very likely, more contagious than other variants. And so that's not good. Recall the Delta variant was already really contagious. So that that's not ideal. Uh, it's certainly spread across South Africa quite eagerly. And it's, it's popping up in many, many other places, as I'm sure we're all reading in the news. Um, it seems like there's a fair chance uh, that it may be more resistant to vaccines than the other ones. And so most of that is kind of a theoretical claim at this point in time on the basis of a lot of mutations that have taken place to the spike uh, protein, which in turn is the thing that most of the vaccines are targeting. So it's just kind of unfortunate that the uh, kind of the signature that we're looking for is, has changed fairly significantly. And so there's a fair chance that vaccines are, are less effective. In fact, I think I saw my, my first quasi credible report suggesting that is indeed the case today. Uh, and, and so that, of course, those are, are bits of bad news. Um, let's emphasize that less effective vaccines doesn't mean ineffective vaccines. It's just a, a, a lower level of effectiveness. Uh, and, uh, and then I guess the last consideration, which might slice in a favorable direction, is the extent to which it, it yields uh, bad outcomes or not. And so there is some thought, and I would say this is probably the least firm of the opinions, uh, but nevertheless, there is some thought that maybe it's less deadly and less likely to put people into hospitals. And so I wouldn't say, I mean, none of this is confirmed. I, w- I wouldn't say that's confirmed in particular. People are saying, well, look, it's, it's not too, too bad in South Africa, but you know, it takes a few weeks for the problems to mount and mild infections to become more serious. And people are saying, well, it's mostly young people getting sick, but guess, guess who mostly live in South Africa? It's mostly young people. So it's, it's not quite clear whether we can say it's, it's truly less, less, less problematic in terms of the, the final outcomes. Um, I, I guess the way we're thinking about it in, a, in an economic context is, so I, I have just revised my growth forecasts and sadly I had to pull them down a bit. So I'm assuming that we are going to be dealing with some sort of wave over the next quarter or two. That, that's the, the, the default assumption. In fact, even before the Omicron, we were seeing the numbers go up. So we were already starting to price in a, a bit of a wave, but it looks like it might, might be a bigger one if this does prove to be something. 
you let me emphasize it's not a 100% proposition because, you know, we were all scared. Remember the Brazilian variant? That was going to be a big problem, and it didn't really do anything globally. And remember, like the South African variant, the beta variant was also supposed to be a big problem. It never left South Africa particularly. And so uh, it, it could be something about South Africa is rendering it vulnerable to these things, and maybe maybe this one doesn't gain the same foothold elsewhere. So there are all sorts of ways this might not precisely play out. But nevertheless, we have subtracted, I would say, fairly notably from our growth assumptions for the first half of next year. We have happily added some things to the second half of the year on the presumption we're working past that. And so in the end, it's only a couple tenths off of 2022 growth. Uh, I, I will say uh, that you know, vaccine makers feel fairly confident that they can respond to this, though when you look strictly at what they need to do, it takes, you know, 90 days to make the new formulation and then it needs to be approved and then they need to make it and then it has to be distributed. And certainly we're talking a, a multi-quarter experience to get back to where we are now in terms of, I guess, efficacy of vaccine and vaccine coverage if something new is indeed needed. And uh, and so uh, we've subtracted something from growth. We were already below consensus in our growth forecast, let the record show. So so in some sense, you know, the consensus is just going to keep sliding towards us. And so I think we're we're well positioned in terms of our assumptions. And it, it is still an assumption that 2022 is a year of economic recovery. So it's not an assumption that the recovery is off and all, all, all sorts of problems are going to be unleashed. But uh, it, it is a, a, a less optimistic forecast. Uh, there are alternatives to that. You know, there is a scenario in which this is just big, big, big trouble. And it's the biggest lockdown since the spring of 2020. I'm, I'm hopeful it's not that. I, th I think the odds are are, are fairly low. It's, it's quite that bad. But nevertheless, there is a scenario in which governments really do have to lock down if this thing is materially more contagious than the Delta and evading vaccines. Uh, but there's also an optimistic scenario. And the optimistic scenario is quite conceivable. And it's not just me with my crackpot theories that is considering this. Uh, the idea is, well, what if it's more contagious, but a lot less deadly? And so in that scenario, um, it's actually almost a blessing in the sense that it outcompetes the Delta uh, fewer people are dying as this thing spreads. We, we kind of supercharge our way toward herd immunity. Everybody's getting infected the old-fashioned way and, in theory, protected from, from all variants, at least we hope, without a, a giant toll on, on hospitals and, and fatalities. And so uh, maybe you have to squint your eyes a little bit to get to that point. But uh, I'm not alone in saying that there is, you know, there's a third scenario here that could actually be not problematic at all. So Again, we don't know exactly how this plays out. For now, we're assuming it's not quite as exciting the next couple of quarters in terms of growth. Uh, but we're going to have to learn more about this, this variant to, to properly say that. And we need to see if it's really spreading aggressively outside of South Africa. Okay. And, and Eric, for, let's just put this in context. For people who are listening for the first time, and it's hard to believe that that's anybody. Everyone should be listening every time to, particularly your appearances here. But what have you done with your Canadian growth forecast? What, what, where, what was the forecast before? What is it now? And maybe we'll throw the U.S. number in just uh, just a, as a backdrop as well. Yeah, no, that, that, that's fair. And yeah, gee, you're putting me on the spot here. I'm trying to think the exact decimal place. But I, I would say a quarter ago, we were looking for Canadian GDP growth for 2022. Gee, it was 3.8 or 3.9, I think is what it was. Three, yeah, so 3.8. So yeah. Which, by the way, twice normal. Like pretty amazing. Uh, we're now talking about something like 3.5%. I think it is 3.5%. So uh, you know, a, a notable cutback. And that is you know tens of billions of dollars being lost by someone in the mix there. Uh, and, and it could well be 
choppier beneath the surface, those first few quarters might be a, a, a lot more more you know, limited and, and then making up for lost time later as we work past these kinds of things. But but that is the context. And so normal growth in Canada might be 2%. We're still talking 3.5%. Uh, we do still think, again, it's a year of recovery. Our, our other work has suggested we're mid-cycle in the business cycle, if that makes sense. And so uh, that's normally consistent with further economic growth. Now, I can't promise there's not a negative month or even a negative quarter in there. Like we've had a few of those over the last few years. And actually, Canada is going to get a negative month one way or the other just from the BC flooding, unfortunately, we think. So, sure. you know, let, let, let's be braced for that. But nevertheless, we, we still think that the, the term recovery is probably more appropriate than not. Yeah. And, and one of the key things there is, is again, in, in the context of the growth that we've ex- we experienced through the last cycle, uh, this is very good growth, even, even notching, notching down from where you are. And as you suggested, that growth is being pushed out. So we'll get that growth. It's just going to come later on as we get through this next variant and, and the floods in BC if we're talking about Canada. Correct. Exactly. Okay. So then let's, uh, let's go to your, uh, your former classmate, uh, Federal Reserve Chairman uh, Jay Powell. I can imagine the two of you wandering the uh, campus of Princeton together talking about economic issues. I know. Uh, did, did, you, did you meet Jay <laughs> we're at school? We're not classmates, Dave. <laughs> No, he's a, is, is he, he's a little, uh, little older than you? Uh, I think he's a little ahead of me. I think he's a little ahead of me. Ben Bernanke was a professor while I was there. Uh, so oh. I got a little, 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 little uh, connection in the central banking world, perhaps. But uh, yeah, no, he was not in my class. <laughs> okay, very good. But he's been in the news a lot lately. He certainly has. He certainly uh, and has. He had, a, he had a very busy week. And I guess the word transitory has been put into the dustbin of history. Uh, and uh, and and he's had a lot to say about his view on uh, where monetary policy is going to have to move in the U.S. Do you take anything away from that? Is there anything that he said this week that surprised you as the market sort of sensed a bit of a shift in his tone right. uh, and reacted right. to it? What, 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 what was your take on that? I, I certainly did take some things away. Uh, and so uh, to, to begin with, uh, yeah, that word transitory, I feel a little badly for the word transitory in the sense that it, it is still sort of transitory, but it wasn't in the original intended usage. So this is why they've abandoned it. And so transitory means temporary. High inflation yeah. is indeed still temporary. No one's saying, at least not, not many central bankers are claiming that there's this new structural error of high inflation. So it, it is still transitory, but it's it's kind of two-year transitory instead of three-month transitory. And so to the extent the original usage was with a vision that would be a few months, well, you sort of have to throw it out. But there, there was nothing actually wrong with the word. It was just some extra meaning we had, we had kind of larded onto it uh, over the last year. So uh, transitory is out. Um, the Fed and others still think that you know, this high inflation is temporary. So I, mean, I don't know what next word they're going to sacrifice at the altar here. But nevertheless, uh, you know, it is, it, is still, it is still a temporary thing. But it's been higher than they thought. And it's lasted longer than they thought. And to some extent, we've had to make the same adaptations. I think we've been on the right side saying, inflation would be higher than people expected, but did I think it was going to be quite this high? Probably not, if I'm being perfectly fair. Um, you know, what's interesting about inflation, before we get to the, the central bank implications, is that uh, like we're probably in the realm, or at least very near, peak pressure. We do still see like real-time inflation indicators that are very hot, so I won't make any bold claims about it collapsing. Um, but you know, we've seen energy prices come off pretty notably, and our work suggests that oil prices can probably go a little further down over the next six months or so. We mentioned earlier that supply chain issues are becoming a bit less intense. We can see the cost of shipping and the number of ships backlogged and things like that coming off a little bit. That's a big inflation driver. And so conceivably, we will lose a few of those big inflation drivers over the next three to six months. Um, Not completely, but partially. uh, I think the reason we shouldn't look for inflation to snap all the way back to normal is because you have these other 
lingering or second round effects. You know, wage growth, for instance, probably rising with a lag and sticking around and creating some inflation of its own. And we can see that inflation isn't just gas prices and car prices anymore. It's broadened out. And so it's going to take a little while to get that genie back into the bottle, uh, if that makes sense as well. And you know, businesses have said quite clearly that they plan on passing through whatever cost increases they see. So in other words, they're not just going to absorb the, the wage increases. They're going to pass that sort of thing uh, along to the consumer. So um, inflation should stay a little warmer than normal for a while, but not as, as high as it is. What does that all mean for central banks? And so really what the Fed has said is that, oops, we were we were behind the curve a little bit. And so they've already adjusted to that to some extent. Here they are beginning their tapering process and planning on halting bond buying altogether by the middle of next year. Uh, they may yet accelerate that pace a little bit. That's been discussed and will be discussed in December. Uh, and it looks like rate hikes are, are maybe a little sooner than previously imagined. And so it wasn't that long ago that 2023 was when the Fed was going to start raising rates. In fact, it wasn't that long ago when they were talking 2024, but 2023 <laughs> was the thinking uh, until a few months ago. And you know, that's moved pretty firmly into 2022. And the market even has uh, you know a pretty firm rate hike priced in not far through the middle of uh, the middle of next year. And so, you know, the, the full second half of next year is thought to be very much in, in play. And so I suspect that's probably right. We are probably now in a world in which the Fed can hike once or twice uh, in 2022, and it doesn't have to be the last day of the year or anything like that. So it's been pulled forward to some extent. We would still take the view that the market's probably pricing a little too much. The market is almost three hikes next year, and I think it's five or six for Canada at this point. So that still feels a bit much to us, though I am aware that we've said that before and the market's gone the other way so we don't always get these things right but it, it feels like a little bit much but nevertheless we are likely to see higher policy rates next year maybe the one x factor is none of these central bankers have formally factored in the omicron variant which yeah. uh, is, is now here and you know, is negative for growth probably ambiguous for inflation because it's hard to say you know china shuts down or something and, and because they have a zero tolerance policy and conceivably it's inflationary but slow growth is usually deflationary so no one can quite sort out which of those factors is going to dominate but nevertheless um you know, it wouldn't surprise me if, if, if they didn't have to to pull things forward a whole lot more just as they may have to grapple with a, a diminished growth environment in the not too distant future excellent well why, why don't we stop there and and that uh, that leaves some stuff for the next time uh, obviously, lots of stuff going on, and and we're just seeing the markets trying to figure it out as they kind of bounce back and forth for the for the last week uh, as as all of this different news has come out. Uh, good to, good to see that, uh, that 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 at the very least we're still in a pretty good growth environment, and we're just going to have to watch this new variant and and make sure that uh, that it, it, we don't get the worst case scenario. We can all hope and pray. Uh, that this is just one that uh, is maybe it passes more widely, but it's uh, but it but it's uh, it's certainly less deadly and less uh, less of an issue from a health perspective. So uh, that that's that that's not economics. That's just uh, that's just hope for uh, for us to finally move through this uh, this pandemic. Eric, it's been uh, great to have you on. Great to have you on at a really timely moment. Uh, so uh, take care, and we'll uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks so much. Bye, everybody. This recording has been provided by RBC Global Asset Management, Inc. for informational purposes only and is not intended to be investment or financial advice. You should consult your own legal, accounting, tax, investment, or financial planning advisors before engaging in any transactions.